Well, hey, we are uh, here on Easter, and, and this is a beautiful day, right? Again, we've already been talking a little bit about it and, and celebrating. I love celebrating our baptisms on, on Easter Sunday. It's such a beautiful representation of what happens that we go from death unto life. That's what we see with Jesus on the cross. And, and I recognize in Easter, there's just so many things that happen during the Easter season. There's so many things that we focus on, we look at, we see it in you know, the advertisements, television shows. You then take time and go buy pastels and wear them one day a year, right? I wear a suit to church one day a year, first time ever, right? It's like take a picture, you won't see it again probably. It's Easter, right? It's what you do. But the reality for us with Easter, and I want you to hear this, this is important, is that when you get down to its foundation, when you get down to its purpose, its intent, the core of what Easter is, it's one thing. It's the resurrection of Jesus and then everything that comes along with the resurrection. This week I was reading an email that went out from a guy, and he, was, uh, he, he basically pastors pastors and speaks into the lives of different churches and stuff. And he had these kind of five points of things that were important to him. And he said to preachers, I want to talk to you just real quick. And he said, I know, and this is a true statement. He said, all preachers feel pressure every week to find a nugget that nobody else knows to wow them with their wisdom and their, how important they are by knowing things that you don't know. So every week they're looking for that that thing in the Greek or that thing in the story, whatever it may be, right? And he said, but when it comes to Easter this year, and as you think about all those things, just stop and please just talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Just talk about it. On this simple yet profound, just focus on the resurrection. And this morning, that's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to read the resurrection story to you in a moment. I'm going to kind of put it in context. I'm going to read from, from the, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to just read the story. I'm not going to then, I'm not going to then break it down and give you three points. We're going to talk about some other things from it, right? But I just, want to, I just want to tell the story this morning of Easter. Now, in telling this story, you all know the life of Jesus, Jesus was supernaturally born as 100% human and 100% God. And how that all mixed together proves that there's a God because that's crazy. That just doesn't seem to happen, right? It's a mystery, but it's true. He's 100% both things at one time. As so he comes to earth and he just lives his life for 30 years. He's just a human being, right? He becomes a carpenter like his dad. We think somewhere along the way, Joseph, his earthly father, probably passed away. And being the oldest son, then he took on all the responsibilities responsibilities of the family and being the dad figure to all the other siblings in his home and he had to provide and take care right that's who he was he had his mom mary it was great right but she's there and she they're doing life for 30 years he just lives his life like you do being faithful as a jewish man and going to temple and studying scripture like everybody else just doing life. He's not doing miracles. He's not doing things. He's just living his life for 30 years. And then he hit that 30-year mark. He goes one day to Jordan River, says to his cousin John, I need you to baptize me. He gets baptized. The Spirit of God falls on him like a dove. Never seen that happen, right? God speaks from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Ministry begins. 
you know he ends up getting some disciples, some followers of his. He has his, his 12, he has some group of other people, and has some women who follow him as, as his followers every single day of their life. You know what he did. He went out and he, he just lived life among people, and he, 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 he healed sicknesses. He caused eyes to be open again. He's doing miracles. He's taking some fish and some bread, and he's multiplying them to feed probably upwards of 15,000 people out in the field. I mean, the things Jesus is doing is crazy, right? He's completely pushing back against the religious establishment of the day, going into the temple where there's some unrighteous acts taking place uh, around finances and around the people of God and overthrows the tables and just kind of speaks back against the establishment and church. I mean, just crazy stuff. People begin to wonder, is he the Messiah? Disciples begin to say, I think he is. And we have that moment last Sunday. You know it's Passover, right? It's like it's Palm, me, Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. It's this moment where historically we know Jesus gets on the donkey and he rides into Jerusalem. It's a prophetic statement to declare that he is the Savior, so you've got to recognize, you don't know this, all of Israel had been waiting for the prophetic reality of a Savior, what they call a Messiah, stepping into the world and taking the Jewish nation and taking them out underneath the Roman Empire and then setting them back up as God's people, God's chosen. They were waiting for this. And so when Jesus comes, like, oh, this is him. And so they're literally waving the palm branches like the kids do on Sunday. Hosanna, praise be to God in the highest. Hosanna, I think he's the one. Do you think he's the one? I don't know, but let's keep on doing this. This is fun. We never get to do this, right? Let's just wave the palm branches. Worshiping, praising God, celebrating him. And he comes in and doesn't do what everybody expects him to do. He doesn't take over. People start to grumble. Come along Friday, the religious establishment, they've just reached the end, and they go, to, they go to Pilate, this weak leader, unfortunately, in Rome, and say, hey, this guy is claiming to be God, so you need to kill him. He's like, I'm not going to kill him. You need to kill him. I'm not going to do it. Well, you need to, or we're going to tell, we're going to tell, we're going to tell the Roman emperor, okay, well, okay, 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 I'm scared. You then take him. You do what you want to do. Everybody starts crying, crucify, crucify, crucify him. Good Friday is that story of Jesus brutally as an innocent man suffering horrible pain, being taken to a cross similar to this one, and then having nails put through both of his hands, his feet. You know, you know the story. Brutal. That's where we catch it right here in Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus, after being on the cross, called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, you've got to recognize the centurion actually is, kind of, is the leader of, of the army. And so in that, all the soldiers who are doing everything, the centurion's probably the leader of all of them. He's the one ultimately in charge of this crucifixion. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely... This was a righteous man. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he's quoted as saying, Surely this was the Son of God, his eyes being opened. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. 
Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and he took it down. He wrapped it in linen cloth, and he placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid on it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Then on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You've heard the story a hundred times. However, how old you were, how many times you've been to church, by Easter, how many times you've heard the story. It's a powerful moment, the resurrection. It's what Easter is all about. Easter is about the resurrection. It's about his movement. But the starting point for Easter, and I want you to hear this this morning because this is where we're going. The starting point for Easter actually reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible. What we find in Genesis 3 is the introduction of sin into the world and the Garden of Eden. We all know the story. Man and woman are both told not to eat from a specific tree as a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All sorts of other trees in the garden full of great fruit, God told them. You can eat of all of these things, but I'm giving you a choice in this moment to either obey or disobey, to follow or not follow. This is the moment whether you choose or not choose. So I'm putting this here to give you this choice. And for time, they chose God. They chose God, but you know the story. The serpent came tempted the woman. She ate and then offered to her husband. He ate. They both sinned before God. Sin simply means just disobedience, a willful choice to do what we know we should not be doing. Sin, disobedience. You know the result of that. All of a sudden, from being intimate with the Father, with no shame and no guilt in life, all of a sudden like this, their eyes were opened. They recognized their nakedness, which I believe was not just body, but I think it's body, soul, and spirit. Their whole, their whole person recognized that in the moment. They felt shame in the moment. They felt guilt in the moment. 
they felt the compulsion to then go hide from the very person who loved them most because of the sin, the disobedience, and took some fig leaves for to hide themselves. Does that describe any of your experience ever when you sin and willfully disobey what you know you should not be doing, hiding, protecting, going away from the ones even that you love most? As you then go through the rest of the Old Testament, right, all of a sudden now intimacy with the Father is broken because of sin. And the unfortunate reality for all of us is that when sin was affected by one person, it impacted every other person who was born from that point forward. The story, listen, the story, it's a big story, but the ultimate reality, what the story is trying to tell you is simply this. There was a moment in history When human beings chose sin, and they chose to disobey God, and from that point forward, every human being that was born now struggled and wrestled with sin and their sin nature. All the way through the Old Testament, we see it. We see people, rather than living God-conscious, they live sin-conscious. Afraid to afraid of what the sin they're going to commit that day and having to go offer sacrifices for that sin. And they would offer sacrifices to the sin that they knew they committed, but it always overwhelmed me reading and recognizing. And then they would offer sacrifices for the sins they committed in ignorance. So we don't even know what we did, but we sure we did something, so we'll just go offer another sacrifice. But in those sacrifices, human beings still never were able to get to that point of living the life that God had called them to live. They still continue to live in their sin. Even the heroes of their faith became defined by sin, and there was no intimacy with the Father. They were not able to step into the relationship with God that had been designed for, that had been intended for them in the Garden of Eden. Sin had brought about death. Death, separated from God, then brought about hell, separation from God for eternity. And no matter how hard they tried, the whole story of the Old Testament is they just couldn't live right enough. They could never quite do the right thing to get themselves to the place of foregoing sin and having this intimacy with the Father. Easter is about the resurrection. The result, again, devastating sin and death into the world. We were all infected by it. And we're all experiencing it. Not one person was ever able to conquer sin in life. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul, one of the great apostles of the Gentiles, of the non-Jews, in the early church. He was speaking to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 3, 23. And I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. He says, guys, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are like the Jew among all Jews or the worst of all sinners among the non-Jews. All have sinned, and all have fallen short of the mark of God's glory. All of us. As it relates to sin in your life, the question I have to begin with for you is, do you remember someone teaching you how to sin? Like, do you remember, like, your mom sitting down saying, okay, I have all the lessons of life. 
I'm going to teach you how to sin real quick and how to be disobedient to me, right? Like, no one ever sat down and taught you how to sin. Never taught you how to be disobedient, right? Do you remember as parents, parents, do you remember the first time your kid lied to you or stole something and pretended like they didn't? And you thought it was super cute and then super sinister the entire, the whole time? Like, oh my gosh, that's cute, but that's really dangerous. Are they an axe murderer in the waiting? I have no idea what's going on here, right? And you're like, I can literally, like, I, I can tell stories about my girls. I'm not going to. I'll tell a story about myself. When I was kindergarten-ish age, now I'd probably, I'd, I'd definitely disobeyed my parents before this moment, but I was kindergarten-ish age. That previous summer, we had gone to Disney. It was a great memory for me. But in this season, I'm with my buddy Dane, Dane Lorio. Anybody know Dane Lorio? I uh, didn't think so. Anyway, my buddy from a long time ago, kindergarten-ish age, right? few years ago anyway so i'm doing life with dane and we're in the backyard we watched a bunch of television right we watched the cartoons and we wanted to be boy scouts because we knew boy scouts could make fire out of sticks and so we decided to build a fire one day like boy scouts do so I went and got one of those sticks, right? And I kind of, we kind of made it pointy at the end. We dug a little hole, put some leaves in there, right? Put some little twigs in there. And then we started doing this, right? Started doing this. And you're like doing it, man. Your hands are hurting, right? And I go, okay, your turn, Dan, your turn. He's like, okay, okay, okay. We take turns. He starts coming over here and doing this. We did it forever, like a total of five minutes. Anyway, so it was like five minutes, like doing the sticks, trying to build a fire. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there like, we're not getting anywhere. We're the worst Boy Scouts in the history of the world. And I got an idea. Hey, when we went to Disney last year, my parents got matches. And they put them upstairs. I think, dang, he's like, go get them. I'm like, dude, I'm in. So what do you do? I start doing the, hmm, hmm. Try to look sneaky like you don't exist, like you're hidden, you're invisible. Walk all the way up the stairs into the bathroom. I go to the counter. There they are sitting right there. I look around like someone's in the shower watching me. I have no idea. I grab the matches. I go back down the stairs. But I'm going stealth, mm, super quiet, right? Super quiet. I hear my mom in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Jesus, you got to help me. No, just kidding, right? I didn't pray. And so I'm like sitting there going, i got to be sneaky. So I know, like, like, there's a hallway. My mom's right over here, right where Graham is, right? Graham's my mom. You're welcome, right? And I'm like, she's right there, and I've got to go through the hallway to get to the outdoor, to go down the stairs in the back porch to go out to Dane to build a fire and be a good Boy Scout. So I'm, like, sneaking. Slowly open the door, right? Go out the back. Open up the other door. Sneaking down the entire time, right? It's like my mom can't see me. I'm invisible, right? I get all the way down. I'm now hanging out with Dane. I pull out the matches, like, oh, right? It's a great moment for all of us, Dane and I. And so we had this great moment. Pull out the matches. We're looking at them. I've never used them before. I had no idea how to use these things, but I figured Dane did. He was like a year older than me. He was so old, and so. Pull them out, man. And as we start to, like, grab them, open up the matchbook, I hear this, Steve. And it's my mom. And I and I go, like this, <laughs> right? Turn around. She's like, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing, just sitting down here. It's like, let me see your hands. The one hand pull. She's like, let me see the other hand. And I'm like, now here's what you got, you got to know. This is something really important to the story. If Dane goes to heaven, we'll talk about it. 
Because in that moment, I'm like doing the ESP game with Dane. My right hand is wide open. I'm like, just take him. Take him, Dane. Just take the matches. <laughs> like, this ESP in with my mind is not working. Dane's like, ah, oh, frozen. And I pull him back around, and I show the matches. And my mom just goes, Dane, I think it's time you go home. You see, the funny thing is, is I love my mom. I thoroughly enjoyed being with her all the time. I was a good kid who tried to obey. But it's interesting because in that moment, I was afraid to be near her. I was trying to sneak my way away from her. I was trying to hide myself so that I wouldn't get caught. And in the moment, I was afraid to be near her because of the shame that it brought knowing I had disobeyed her. Do you see how sin works in your life? Can you identify with that? I would say that all of you can because I believe because of Genesis 3, all of us have been affected by sin, the impact of sin. All of you have your own stories of past things that you probably carry some level of shame with. You have your present things that maybe you're you're currently walking in. You know what shame does? It causes you to build walls and actually lose intimacy with everybody you're in relationship with, including God, including your friends, including your parents, including your children, including your spouse. All of us have those things. We think about sin, and obviously we think about the big ones, people who murder one another, and they carry that. We think about addiction, whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's addiction to pain meds or to drugs themselves, to alcohol, some sort of substance abuse that that we live in. We try to hide it because of the shame that we feel in it. We don't want anyone to know. Maybe your sin is that you just can't stop talking about people behind their backs. To tear them down because it makes you feel better about yourself because you struggle with rejection every day of your life. So if you just tear somebody else down, it can build you up and feel better about yourself. And then when you see them, you feel queasy in your stomach. Because you know you just talked about them the day before. And you're like, huh, and now you can't even, you feel fake around them. Maybe being upper middle class, you just feel better and like you're better than everyone else that you're around. You look down at blue-collar people. You look down at people who are on the streets. You look at the clothes they wear, the way that they talk, where they do their hair. And inside, you go, I'm just glad I'm not like them. This past Friday, my, one of my best friends, some of you guys who came to the men's retreat here, Tyler Rakin, who spoke. I get a text from him Monday saying, hey, I got a foursome at our club over here in Roswell. I asked my 11-year-old and 14-year-old who they wanted to play golf with as their foursome. They go, Steve, we want Steve. So I'm like, man, when your best friend's kids invite you to come play golf, you drop everything that you're doing and go play golf, right? So I went over, man. Charlie told me dad jokes for four straight holes, right? How much does the chimney cost? It's on the house, right? That was my favorite. 
On the way over to Roswell, I stop at the Golden Arches, God's gift to mankind in the morning. I ask for the non-buttered biscuit to watch the wait. Just kidding. And so I just pounded that thing, right? But as I'm ordering that morning, the lady who was taking my order was just not very good at her job. She didn't talk very clearly. She obviously had a hard time understanding me. And if I'm honest, I got frustrated. Like, this ain't Chick-fil-A. Come on now. You didn't say my pleasure. And I'm sitting there in judgment of her. I start thinking to myself, man, I'm so much better at her than this. I mean, if I were doing this job, I mean, I would kill this. I mean, she needs to say this. And, oh, my gosh, and I get that. And I'm I'm frustrated with her. I'm literally thinking that I'm better than her. I get to the window, and she opens the she opens it up. She's an older woman, and she's special needs. Exactly. Felt the shame on that one. And I felt struck to the core of my being. And God said. God says, as clear as I'm talking to you, Steve, you are not better than her. I said, you're right. I am such a jerk. And God, I am so sorry that I saw myself as being better than any other human being. God, I ask your forgiveness. And I prayed for, I just, not her, not too with her, but I just, in the moment, I prayed for her. She came back, opened the window, and I just looked at her. I said, hey, I just want you to know you did a phenomenal job serving me this morning. And I'm super thankful for you, and I'm praying that you have a phenomenal Easter. She's like, thank you. And she just closed the window, and I drove off. I don't care who you are, where you are, what's going on, and what the title is in front of your name. We are all all infected with this part of us, the sin nature that causes us to do things that does not please God, to do those things that does not honor God and dishonors other people. And we sin against people every day, whether we are Christians or non-Christians, Christians who have been given God's spirit and we have the power to not fall into temptation, or we are living in sin as unbelievers and this sin just overtaken us. We are all susceptible. Each of you have your own story. And God looks at you and says, it's why I came and why I died on the cross. Because you in your own strength don't have power to conquer sin in your life. And this is what he says. And I'm just not okay with you walking in the shame of your guilt. I'm not okay with you walking in the power of sin over your life. I'm not okay with you pulling away and drawing away from people because of the sin that overpowers you. I'm not okay with that. So I'm going to come and die on a cross, and I'm going to break the back of the power of sin and death in your life. all of our stories it is the reason jesus came to earth 
he knows that we are weak. That y'all, Jesus ain't weak. It's a testimony of the resurrection. He has mastery and power over sin, over death and hell. The resurrection defines Easter as about God defeating and breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of disobedience in our life through the death of Jesus. He died for the guilt of my sin in my place. When we talk about this, what I want you to understand is this guilt and death language honestly was part of the culture of Israel. They had a whole sacrificing model going on. There ha- if someone sins, then there has to be death to pay for the penalty of that sin. And so that's why they would have sacrifices to pay for the penalty of that sin. And so that was true in this day when Jesus came. And, and so what that means for us, so I've got my nephew Vic right here. Vic, just put your hand up in the air. Yep. So Vic gets to be the judge this morning. Okay. Vic is sitting here, and he hears the story of my life. He hears about all the sin. He hears about the mean way I treated the lady at McDonald's, and he's disgusted, as we all are with the sin. He looks at me and says, I've got to bring a verdict. He puts the gavel down, and he says, all right, because of sin, someone, someone has to die. Steve, you're going to have to die. I look at it and go, I understand. I, I've committed sin. All of a sudden, in that moment, Brian, Daddy Brian over here, baptized this morning. He gets to be Jesus Brian this morning. He comes in as a Jesus figure. Karen looks like, "Mm, he ain't that, right? (laughs) Brian comes in, the Jesus figure, and says, Steve, I got you, bro. I'll die in your place. What? I will take all of your guilt upon me, and I will die in your place so that you don't have to. I'm like, bro, you don't have to do that. No, Brian, he just loves me. He feels generous. He's overwhelmingly, passionately desiring that I'm set free. So he dies in my place. And all of a sudden, I'm walking in freedom. That's what we're talking about. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. That's what he does for you, for all who believe and have faith in him and commit their lives to him. I want to end this morning by reading a set of verses that just speak to all of this. Okay? I'm not going to unpack them. I'm just going to read them, and I'm going to pull out some pieces from it that are takeaways. Now, here's the point. I'm going to read this morning from Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, but I'm reading it from the message translation. I love the message because what it does is it just puts into common day language biblical truths. You may not know this, but Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the message, he did it because he was doing a Bible study. He was a PCA, Presbyterian pastor, Reformed pastor, and he said, I was uncomfortable because I had this new group of believers in my church, people who were just really young in their faith, and they just couldn't understand the Bible when they read it. So I'd take a section of Scripture, and I would just take it, I'd pray over it, I would study it, and then I'd put it into what I thought was common day language so they have greater access to the Scripture. So we'd read both. We'd do the Scripture over here that was normal, NIV, NAS, whatever version you read. 
read, and then we read this over here to kind of match them up to have greater understanding. This morning, I want to do that. I want to read, but I want to put in some common day language, Romans, because Romans sometimes is hard to understand. So I'm just going to read it this morning from the message. I encourage you to go back on your own and and read other other parts of it. But I want to read this morning from the message, Romans 3, 21 through 26. Common words that we understand. So he comes and says, but in our time, something new has been added. So what Moses and the prophets witnessed to and spoke about all those years ago, it's finally happened. That God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us or them or anyone in this. Since we, listen, I love this phrase. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us, God did it for us. Jesus came and lived this life. Out of sheer generosity, he put us, like Brian, Jesus Brian over here, out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in. He restored us to where we always wanted, where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. 2526, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. And having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. First thing I want you to take away, all of us, and restate things I've already said, all of us have sin, all of us have a sin nature, we have sin in our lives, and we in our own power never set ourselves right with God. We can't do it on our own strength. It requires Jesus doing a work because, two, we are all guilty, and we can't do enough to save ourselves As I grew up, my youth pastor would say, even if you just created one sin in your life, Jesus still would have had to come and die on the cross for you because he's so holy. He can't even have one sin in his midst. Number three, God sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin. His death accomplished this, and he did it because he is generous and he is loving. And our act, it says a couple times here, in this is simple yet necessary. We have to accept that. We have to, we must have faith, believe in Jesus, believe in his work of saving us, believe in his death, believe in his resurrection, and then commit to follow the most powerful God we've ever known who loves us perfectly for the rest of our lives. Sin is not okay. Sin always acts as a separation between us and God. As Christians, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus, but still says, you have to get rid of sin because it's causing you to turn away from me. You have to turn from it. For those who are not believers, I'm sorry. 
that your life is defined by sin and because you don't have someone to pay your penalty, you will live your life separated from God for eternity. Because you have to die for that sin. Someone has to die for it. I'm sorry. This is how it works. But Jesus died for you so you wouldn't have to, if you would have faith in him. So why the resurrection? Why is the resurrection important? Why must we believe in the resurrection? I'll go to, back to the words of the Apostle Paul, not on the screen, but he makes it very clear. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, because a dead Jesus means he was just another man who claimed to be God who died. But Jesus said, I am God, I will die, I will be resurrected in three days because I am God, and that's what he did, so therefore he is God, and everything that he ever said is true, and he is worth following, we must obey him because he is the king of all kings and creator. We are a people who get to follow a risen God. This is the power. I don't know about you, but I look at my life, and I don't think any of you should ever follow me. And I'll tell you something. I'll never follow you because you ain't God. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail me. He never does. That's why he's worthy of following. Basically, the resurrection is just God showing off his power. Say, watch this. And he did it. He has power. He is God. He is Lord and ruler over all. And he is worthy of believing. As the worship team comes forward this morning, we're just going to respond with a couple of things. I'm going to bring the lights down for me, Josh. This morning, there are two types of people in the room. There are those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Those who've made Jesus Lord of their life, no matter where they are in that journey, and those who haven't. For those who haven't this morning, I want to start off by just saying I've known Jesus now for 36 years. And he's worth it. Just simply stated, he's worth it. He's worth it in the times that are really good in my life to enjoy with, to be passionate with, to celebrate with. And he's worth it when everything is going horrible in my life. And he becomes the rock that I stand on. He becomes the one who fills me, blesses me, encourages me, and gives me life. I had to surrender everything to follow him like everybody else in this room who knows Jesus. But I surrendered to a loving God who then said, I'll take your small things and give you back all of my things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Feeds all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He says, my burden in life, your burden without me is hard, heavy, 
but my burden when you give your life to me is easy and it's light. I will actually be with you every day. I will speak to you, encourage you, I'll give you life. And I simply this morning want to invite you to let him take your sin, to put you in right standing with him. You don't need Brian Jesus, you need Jesus Jesus. And he wants to give his life to you today as you give your life to him. So where you are, just close your eyes. All this does is just removes distraction, helps you focus. Nothing super spiritual about it. It's just helping you focus. And this morning, if you come and I'm talking about sin, you're like, oh my gosh, he's telling my story. I feel that. I feel this distance. I know something's not right. If that's true about God, yes. If this morning you would like, if you say, I believe in Jesus and have faith in his death and his resurrection, his life, you're willing to have faith and then surrender your life to him so he can give you his life. If that's you this morning, you have eyes closed, I want to invite you to put your hand up in the air high enough where I can see it this morning. So if that's you this morning, the hands that's raised, I, I'm not going to pray a prayer and then invite you to pray with me. Nothing, nothing supernatural about it. It's just a prayer. The prayer is just a conversation with God. You're just talking to Jesus. And it's a real simple prayer. I'm just going to make it up as I go. Jesus, I'm sorry that I disobeyed. I am weak. And I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. Help me not to pick it back up. I ask you to come save me. In the name of Jesus, amen. If that was you this morning after service, I would ask that you would just find me so I can tell you a little bit more about my best friend. The great thing about Jesus, he is everybody's best friend, and we're all his favorite. Second, we do have a large crowd this morning. We're going to take communion, and so you're one of our directors, just keep an eye on our um, little wafers and juice to make sure we get enough for everybody. But we're all going to take communion this morning. If you say, I believe in Jesus, he's Lord of my life, you surrender your sin to him. Then we're going to invite you to take communion. It's right here. Take take a little piece of um, whatever that is, a little bread thing, just dip it in and take it. Here's the thing about communion. Jesus says, hey, guys, listen to me. It's super important. Whenever you do this, your goal is to remember me. I want you to remember the cross. I want you to remember my blood poured out, my body broken, 
want you to rule what I did, why I did it. I want you to rule what it does for you. Remembrance and communion is not just to think back 2,000 years ago, but it's to remember as I take it today and I remember it says that the blessing of it overwhelms me again and grace is poured out into my life. Whenever I remember the gospel of Jesus, it causes life to come inside of me again. That isn't like for rebirth, but like, you know what I mean? It's like something blows life into me. It's like water for a parched person. So, here's our take communion. I'm not going to tell you, like, like all I'm going to say is this. you got to come down this aisle here and go that way. And come down this aisle and then go this way. You're all smart people. So you'll figure it out. Don't be jockeying for position. Right? I encourage you to come in a spirit of worship. If you're with someone who can't make it to here, then you dip it in for them and take it back to their seat for them. If that's what they want. Guys, let's not leave without coming awaken to the truth of who Jesus is today. Alright. So Toby leads, feel free to sing. Y'all just start coming now. And then I'll close this in a few minutes. So y'all come and take communion.